Please open with me in God's Word to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18, as we continue looking at the life of Abraham here in the Old Testament. And while you're turning there, I want you to think for a moment and answer the question, what is your favorite meal to eat? I know I may be risking this as we get close to lunchtime, but some of you here may be steak and potato kind of people, where you would like nothing more than a rare or medium rare steak, potato. Others of you may be pizza lovers and like nothing more than a Chicago style or maybe New York style or some other kind of pizza. Uh, for those of you who know my wife, you know that she is a barbecue lover, loves the different kinds of barbecue and the meat that can be cooked so well. Uh, not to leave myself out, but I enjoy different ethnic foods. It's hard for me to decide, but uh, depending on my mood, Italian, Mexican, or Chinese tend to be some of my favorite go-tos. But what... We think of the food we eat and the meals that we enjoy. What matters more than the food itself? But who you are eating it with. You know, when you go out to eat by yourself, you may enjoy the best of food. But so often you want to share that time and that experience with someone else. And when we're together with other people, often the food may not be the best. But because of who we're with, we find a fulfillment and a satisfaction in the meal that we're sharing together with them. Well, this morning in this passage of Scripture, we also come to a meal. But this is a great meal with God himself. And it's through this meal that we learn more about God and about God's love. So let us read together then Genesis 18 verses 1 to 15. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by on your servants. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servants. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, 
But you did laugh. Brothers and sisters, let us again go before our great God in prayer. Father, this morning, may we hear more than information of what happened thousands of years ago in history. But through this meal, may we come to not only grow in our awareness and appreciation of your love, but may we rejoice in the depth of your love. Father, I pray that you will be with me, that you will help me as your minister to faithfully bring your word to your people under the power of your Holy Spirit so that Christ will indeed be magnified through your word this morning. And we will live each and every day you give us out of the love, the deep, deep love we have received in Christ. And so, Father, we ask all these things in the name of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this morning, this great passage of Scripture reveals to us the great depth of love that God has for his people. And we see this depth in three ways this morning. First, through God's personal communion. Second, in God's promised faithfulness. And third, by God's patient encouragement. So we have God's personal communion, God's promised faithfulness, and finally, God's patient encouragement. Let's begin then by looking at verses 1 to 5, where we read of God's personal communion. Now, God, of course, as we read the beginning of Genesis, our eternal God created this world and everything in this world. And he created it all good, and yet... Humanity, those God created in His image, rebel against Him in sin and come under His judgment. Which then brings God's curse of death and corruption that then enters this world. And while this world then comes under God's judgment for sin, we also see God giving this great hope of salvation from the wrath of God that we all deserve for our sin. So it's even then as sin continues to spread that this promise continues and it leads God then to call the man Abraham out of his country and from his people and from his own family so that Abraham's descendants will become God's own chosen people who then live in his promised land. See, if Abraham and his descendants obeyed God, God will bless them. But if they disobeyed God, they would be cursed. And it's then through this covenant that God makes with Abraham and his descendants that God's promise of salvation will then come to the nations where all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we have this covenant that was made with Abraham, a guaranteed commitment that God makes to fulfill his promise of giving Abraham descendants who will then live and inherit the land that God has brought Abraham into, the land of Canaan. 
And in response then to God, they were to obey God by receiving the covenant sign of circumcision. Which is why as chapter 17 ends, with Abraham's faith in God and Abraham trusting in God's promises, we read of him and all the men of his household being circumcised. So we find then after 25 years of waiting, God's promise of giving Abraham descendants is about to be realized. That Abraham and Sarah will have a son, even though she is now barren and can have no children. So as chapter 18 begins, we find God once more appearing before Abraham as a theophany, this visible manifestation of God. And here God appears with two angels. So there are three here appearing in human form as men. And they come to where Abraham is currently camping where he is currently living and stand outside of the tent. Now he is there, we read, among the terebinth trees of Mamre. This would have been in the southern part of the land of Canaan over by Hebron or Hebron where Abraham had settled after, you remember, his nephew Lot had separated from him to journey on east toward Sodom. And it is here, among these trees, that the Lord reassures Abraham of his promises of descendants and land. So then Abraham built an altar to worship God in this place. But as you think about tents, you may think about camping tents, these small things we put up in order to sleep in. That's not the kind of tent Abraham would be living in here. Remember through all the years how much God has blessed Abraham and his household. Great wealth and riches, many possessions and animals servants they would all be living together in this tent we have this large tent and while they're living in this tent of course things can become rather hot in the middle of the day so Abraham here, we find, as this chapter begins, is enjoying a siesta where he is seeking relief from the heat of the day. Now, I've been to northern Africa where they have a siesta because it just gets real hot in the afternoon. And so businesses and shops will close up. People will go to, into their homes to rest and be refreshed. And I was even invited into somebody's home to enjoy some tea and light pastries as snacks. And we were able to enjoy conversation together. That's the, the kind of thing that we find going on here. So here, Abraham is relaxing while these three men are then standing close to the tent opening. It's as if they have come and are knocking on the door or ringing the doorbell, waiting for him around his tent. What happens when Abraham sees them? He runs to meet them. He is eager to welcome them. Now, don't miss why he is so eager. We see there in the middle of verse 3, him speaking to them. And actually, he begins by speaking to the leader of the three. When he says, my Lord. My Lord, he recognizes 
the messengers here. Because Lord is the Hebrew word for God. Adonai. Remember, God has appeared to Abraham before. And after Abraham and his household have been circumcised, we find God once more appearing in person to Abraham to confirm his covenant promises. This is why Abraham bowed himself to the ground before he spoke, because he was in the presence of God himself. So he humbly bows down as a servant to his Lord. And as he recognizes these men and who they are, he doesn't want these divine messengers to leave. So he invites them to join him for this time of rest and refreshment. He wants to enjoy some time together with them. And he also wants to eat with them by showing hospitality towards them in a shared meal. See, we often don't value the importance of eating together today. We live such busy and hurried lives. Food simply becomes the fuel through which we keep going and we stay busy. But having a meal together is far more than eating at the same time. It's through meals that we build closer relationships and grow in intimacy with one another as we share food. Which is why for many families today, you still value gathering together and eating a meal. Or on special holidays where families come together to enjoy a time of encouragement and refreshment. So here we see God inviting these men for this time together with him. And the three agree. Letting him know that they're willing to stay with him. How willing God is to spend time with his people. To personally spend time with his people. Notice God didn't simply come to give a message to Abraham and leave. But he came and was willing to sit with Abraham and spend time with Abraham. God loves us so much that he is willing to personally commune with us So my question that we should all ask ourselves this morning is, will you respond like Abraham, eager to spend time with God and communion with God? Or will you excuse yourself because of how busy you are in your day-to-day -day life? So often... We can miss out on God's invitation to commune with him. That we get caught up in the things of this world and lose out on the intimacy. We can enjoy by being in God's presence as we commune with him as his people through his word, through prayer, through the gatherings of his people. May we no longer make these excuses, but yearn for such communion in our lives. So we begin to see the depth of God's love for his people through his personal communion. But then we continue here in verses 6 to 10 to continue to recognize the, the depth of God's love in his promised faithfulness. God's promised faithfulness. 
See, now that Abraham's three guests are willing to stay, preparations need to be made. And look at how important it was for Abraham to give them this meal. In verse 6, we read, He hurried. And then he said to his wife, Sarah, Quickly, make these preparations. Bake this bread. And then he runs to the herd. To pick a calf. And the young man then hastens to prepare it. So Abraham asks Sarah, his wife, to make some cakes of bread. But what's remarkable is how much. You know, we miss this because we don't automatically convert from their systems of measurement to today. But notice we have here three measures of fine meal. Now, a measure or a sia, a fine flour or fine meal, is about two gallons of grain. So here we're looking at around a bucket of five to six gallons of flour. And while I admit I am no baker, that seems like a lot of bread. And notice this is fine flour. This is the best flour. Because we find this kind of flour is what God later commands Israel to use in their own grain offerings. See, this wasn't simply going to be a small afternoon snack. But Abraham wanted to provide a great feast. Which is why he then rushes to choose the best cow that he can to provide butter or curds and milk, delicacies of the day. So he goes and he picks out a tender and good fattened calf, which again would be what Israel would offer in their sacrificial system of worship. We often see here, don't we, how Abraham's descendants Israel are following in his footsteps. This is becoming quite the meal, right? It's a royal banquet. We find Abraham standing by them under the tree as they ate, serving as their waiter, giving his guests the highest honor possible by standing and waiting on them as they ate. I mean, think about this for a moment. God himself is sitting at Abraham's table to enjoy a meal with him. God himself eating at the table. And not just any meal, but this is a covenant meal to show that they are not enemies but they are friends. That's why a meal would usually accompany covenants and treaties made between people in that day. Meals were included after a covenant was agreed upon to show peace between the sides. And so God here is eating this meal with Abraham as a symbol to show they are at peace. And that God is ready to give his covenant blessings to Abraham. But before he does, the three men ask Abraham where his wife is. Now, this isn't because they don't know. They know where Sarah is as, as we go on to see here. But they're asking where Sarah is, because this question shows God's love and concern for her, as well as for Abraham. So it's God himself then, after hearing that Sarah is close by, that speaks of his promise of a son to them. 
And here he reveals to Abraham the specific time that this covenant promise will be fulfilled. You see, verse 10 is really the center of this passage. Where we read God saying, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, your wife shall have a son. Now, this time of life is when her pregnancy will be completed and she will give birth, which is within the next year. So think about it. After all this time, moving into this land, waiting for God's promises to come, God will finally bring this great promise to pass within the next year. So in this declaration, we find God himself revealing that he will be faithful to his promises and he will keep his covenant promises. It is God's word then that reveals to us and reassures us of his love by keeping all the blessings he promises to his people. The question then for us becomes like Sarah, how we respond to God's word. That's the question we're left with here at the end of verse 10, isn't it? How will Sarah respond now that she has heard this great reassuring word from God? Will she believe? Or will she doubt? Well, when we come to all of God's word, will we believe? Or we doubt. Because we too have questions. We too have promises that have not been fully fulfilled. We too have struggles in this world and blessings yet to receive. Do we recognize in God's word, the very treasures of his heart of love poured out for us as we read and hear his word preached. Because it's through God's word that his love is expressed through his promised faithfulness and the depth of God's love comes ever more clear. But there's still one more way we even go deeper into the love of God here. We began with God's personal communion, then continued with God's promised faithfulness. Finally, in verses 11 to 15, we come to God's patient encouragement. Verse 11 gives us a moment to remind us of how impossible this promise of God would appear to be. Remember, Abraham at this time is 99 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And there is no way, humanly speaking, they can have a son. And so as Abraham laughed at God's promise of a son with Sarah in the last chapter, so now in this chapter, we see Abraham's wife laughing at the same promise. After all, she's already gone through menopause. Her body, her womb, is as good as dead. And such speaking sounds like utter foolishness. But notice, while Abraham fell to the ground as he laughed out loud, Sarah's more dignified here. She stays quiet 
but laughs within herself, privately, at what she hears. And what does she say to herself? What is she thinking in her mind? I've given up on having children. I'm too old. My husband's too old. This is foolishness. But as we have seen over and over and over again through Abraham's life, what is impossible to us is not impossible to God. And again, we are confronted with this choice. Will we believe in God? Or will we doubt God? Will we believe in God when things are not going as we expect them to go? Or will we doubt God because our expectations have not been met? Well, Sarah doubts. She doubts that this could possibly happen to her in her old age. This is what I want us to see. Does God cast them off in such unfaithfulness and sin? Does God decide, I'm going to look for another couple now. I want those who are going to be more faithful to me. I'll look for another man and his wife to bless. No, of course not. Because he is patient with them. And he speaks here to Abraham, reassuring him of his covenant faithfulness. Because when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. And so God here rebukes Sarah as he asks questions of Abraham. So that Sarah's faith will be restored and she will be reassured of his faithfulness in spite of these impossible circumstances. Now, we normally don't think of rebukes as encouragement, right? Who likes being rebuked? And yet rebukes are necessary and even loving when they seek to correct us from going in the wrong direction or doing something wrong. And so this rebuke is a rebuke, as God's word often must rebuke us for our sin. It's what Paul himself says when all scripture is inspired. It will rebuke us in our sin. So God asks these questions of Sarah saying why did Sarah laugh saying surely I shall I surely bear a child since I am old is anything too hard for God but do you hear the heart of love in this rebuke see God knows our hearts and even though the only person that heard Sarah laugh was Sarah herself, God not only knows what we do, but he also knows what we think and he knows how we feel. So as he knows us, we find him at work to then strengthen our faith through repentance and trust. And that's what we find happening here with Sarah. God confronting Sarah's doubt. Because while her doubt is un understandable, it's also sinful. Because God is all powerful and committed to carrying out his plan of salvation. And yet she did not trust in faith as she waited why we go on to read in proverbs 28 verse 13 he who covers his sins will not prosper but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy so god's word confronts us with our sins so that we'll have mercy we'll receive god's mercy 
because of his love for us. So even in the midst of these impossible circumstances, God here affirms nothing is too hard for him. How we all need to be reminded of this truth. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No. But we far too often question God when times get tough. Or we get impatient while we wait on Him to work. Here, though, what we find is God is the one who can bring life out of death. That Sarah's womb may have been dead, but this won't keep God from bringing new life into this world. And don't miss when Sarah will give birth to her son. There in the middle of verse 14, we read, At the appointed time. At the appointed time, God is providentially in control of all things so that nothing takes place in this world is out of his hands. You see, this delay of their having a son is not because God needed all these years to prepare and carry out his promises. No. This delay so that Abraham and Sarah will learn to trust in him. And so that they will know their hope is found in him alone. And in nothing they can do at all. They are completely dependent on God to carry out his promise. But what happens? What happens when you're caught doing something wrong? Do you automatically admit you were wrong? No. You try to cover your tracks, right? Children. When your parents find you've eaten something they've told you not to eat. Or that you have watched something you're not supposed to watch. Or that you've done something you're not supposed to do. What happens when your parents confront you? You lie. You lie to try to cover your tracks so that you avoid admitting you're wrong. Yet somehow your parents tend to know that you're lying. Well, your parents may or may not know whether you're lying. But God knows. Because God is not only all-powerful, God is all-knowing. And we cannot fool God. So Sarah here, in saying she did not laugh, this lie is quickly exposed because she did laugh. Her faith was weak. She doubted God. But listen, what's important here to see is that this is not the end of the story. Because Sarah came to embrace these promises by faith. See, while she had an imperfect faith, her faith was a genuine faith. And what matters is not the amount of our faith. What matters is the object of our faith, who our faith is placed in. And her faith was in God, as imperfect as it may have been. So we find here God being patient with Sarah while she grows and matures in her faith even through her skepticism and her sin. And so let, let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, where we not only read of Abraham's faith in God, but we also read of his wife Sarah's faith. Here we see of Sarah's faith in God's covenant promises. So Hebrews 11 Verses 11 to 12. We read, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. 
and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. How patient, then, is God's love for us as our imperfect faith is grown and cultivated and matured over the years by God's love. Do you see then the depth of God's love for his people? Behold the depth of God's love for us. Because God's love for us is ultimately found in the birth of a son. But it's found in the birth of another son to come from Abraham's descendants. And like God's announcement of a son to Sarah, so God makes another announcement of a son. And while Sarah was too old to have children... So Mary was too young to have children because she was a virgin. And you see, like God's message to Sarah came through angels. So too, God's message to Mary came through angels. And as Sarah was afraid of God's announcement, so too Mary was afraid of God's announcement. And that's when Mary received these reassuring words from the angel Gabriel, who said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. See, it is through Jesus that God fulfills the covenant promises of Abraham and brings the great promise of salvation into this world. Because God himself becomes man in the person of Jesus Christ to take the place of sinners like you and like me. And it's through God, Christ, Jesus Christ's life then that he lives righteously in our place rather than disobediently as we live in sin. It's through then Christ's sacrifice of himself through paying the penalty of death on the cross for us. That God's wrath is removed. That we are reconciled with God. And it's in the cross then where the justice and the mercy of God meet. To where God's love then radiates for us who look to Christ and trust in His work for us. Is this your hope? Do you have faith in Christ and what He has done for us? Because without Him, what awaits all of us as sinners is judgment. And the condemnation of punishment we deserve for our sin. Listen, God's love for us is so deep that he gives his son to take upon himself our punishment of death so that we will be alive. Life will come from death. 
as we confess our sins in repentance and come to Jesus in faith. So believe on Christ this morning because of the deep, deep love of Jesus. We also need to see, brothers and sisters, that just like God who is willing to dine with his chosen man, Abraham, over a covenant meal, so he too is willing to dine with his church through a covenant meal. I want us to turn back to Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29, where Jesus himself gives a greater meal than even Abraham experienced. Where before Jesus' death, he institutes a new meal in light of a new and greater covenant to share with his people. Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Wow. Jesus gives us a meal in the Lord's Supper that is a king's banquet unlike any other meal we eat. And Jesus now stands to serve us and he serves us himself through his broken body and shed blood. Do you see then how through Christ's death we are reconciled with God so that we can sit down with him and have a meal with God in the heavenly places when we are gathered together as his people? In his name, in the name of Christ, who serves as our sacrifice, upon which we receive grace as we eat, out of his love for us, which is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament feasts. Do you see how we then are present with God when we eat the Lord's Supper? God is present with us as we eat. So if you want to experience the depth of God's love, then enjoy the covenant meal of His broken body and shed blood which was given out of love for us. But we live in a day where this meal is so trivialized, where its importance is minimized. I mean, we're living in the midst of a pandemic where the Lord's Supper is so cheapened that it can be taken online while we're sitting at home not able to gather as if this is simply any food to eat when we want. But you see, the danger of any routine is that we begin to lose sight of how special something is. So week after week, we meet. Month after month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Year after year, we continue to gather. And what happens? When the Lord's Supper comes, this meal is offered. We begin to take it for granted. 
It's no big deal to miss. And so we wind up neglecting the communion with God in His love we experience as He is present with us to give us a new and fresh pouring out of His grace through Christ. May we remember the depth of God's love for us in the meal that He has provided for us in the Lord's Supper so that we will indeed center our lives around the gathering of worship where we will feed on Christ's sacrifice symbolically through bread and through wine so that God's grace will continue to work in us and through us continue to grow us and transform us more and more to being like Christ. It is through Christ the depth of God's love for us is seen. May we then yearn for the Lord's Supper as we look forward to celebrating once more next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, how deep your love is for us and how easy it is for us to take your love for granted. Forgive us, Father, of how easy it is to trivialize the Lord's Supper. And may we see through this meal that you provide for your church the deep, deep love that you have for us. May this then be the meal that fuels our souls as we live for your glory in this world. Father, we ask all these things then in the name of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.